Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 12th verse. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. To join me, please, in a word of prayer. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this beautiful new day you have bestowed upon us, for the opportunity to worship you again in spirit and in truth, and for the ability to walk with one another, to accompany each other and share in our lives together. We thank you on this Sunday in particular simply for being who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, constantly creating, redeeming, and sanctifying us and all of creation. We lift up to you now all of our thanksgiving and praise for the many blessings which you shower down upon us daily. We also lift up to you all the ways in which our hearts, our minds, our spirits are troubled, all of our fears and anxieties. <clears throat> our nervousness and concerns for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for this world. Uh, we pray that you may reach down from heaven and heal us and transform our lives and grant us joy. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon text for today is the first lesson for today assigned to us actually from Proverbs chapter 8 it is an assemblage of verses verses 1 through 4 and then skipping down from 22 through 31 um, my sermon title today is based on verses 1 3 and 4 where you see that wisdom calls out twice and cries out an additional two times so my sermon title for today is the call and the cry of wisdom. <clears throat> the Old Testament book of Proverbs is traditionally regarded as being authored by King Solomon, one of only three kings to rule over a unified ancient Israel. Sometime in the 10th century BC, probably the early to mid 900s before Christ, King Solomon was widely regarded as the wisest person on earth in the lore of ancient Israel. He was the son and the successor of King David, his father. And Solomon prayed to God for wisdom. And 1 Kings chapter 3 was granted it by God and then employed it most famously in that same chapter when two women both claimed to be the mother of a disputed child and King Solomon proposed sawing the child in half and giving half to each mother, at which point the real mother, was willing to give up the child so that it would not die 
so that Solomon awarded the child to the woman who was willing to give it up. Solomon, incidentally, was also the king who built the first temple of God in Jerusalem. Because his wisdom was legendary, Solomon is traditionally regarded as having authored the three Old Testament books of what are commonly called wisdom literature, namely Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs. Tradition also posits that he wrote the Song of Songs as a young man swept away with love. Proverbs, in his middle-aged years, setting forth basic instructions for a good life, and then Ecclesiastes in his older years when he cynically despaired of the benefits of wisdom. This book of Proverbs, which we have before us today, is so significant in the minds of most Christians that it is often included along with the book of Psalms as an appendix of sorts to smaller copies of your New Testament. The book of Proverbs contains many of the short phrases and concise maxims which we hold dear memorize and attempt to live by. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Rather in all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Pride goeth before a fall. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a downcast spirit dries up the bones. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but simply in expressing his own opinion. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And countless others. The book of Proverbs is cherished because it seeks to discover and impart the recipe, the formula, the wisdom of the good life. A life that is blessed, fruitful, productive, and perhaps above all, meaningful. And if we're lucky, maybe even rewarded. Proverbs is divided into four sections or sub-books as it were. The first being chapters 1 through 9, which serve as an introduction to the entire book and which is where we find ourselves this morning. Who among us doesn't seek wisdom? I remember hearing growing up that wisdom was knowledge plus experience. You could have one without the other, of course. Knowledge by itself could make you smart, bright, even brilliant. Also perhaps arrogant, cocky, aloof, insufferable, idealistic, naive. Experience by itself could lead to you becoming old, advanced in years or age. I'll find it. Repeating needlessly the same mistakes, worn out, crestfallen, disappointed, 
and resigned. What you wanted, however, was wisdom, knowledge informing experience and experience informing knowledge. The dictionary defines wisdom as deep understanding, keen discernment, and a capacity for sound judgment. Most of us are familiar with the so-called serenity prayer, a prayer as popular as it is elusive, with wisdom as its climax. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. How many walls, hearts, and minds does that hang on? and yet remain frustratingly unfulfilled. The Bible as a whole has many things to say about wisdom, far too many to elucidate here, but two of my favorites come from the New Testament letter of James. The first chapter says there, If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it shall be given them. The third chapter in James says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. The book of Proverbs presents wisdom, perhaps somewhat paradoxically, as a gift given from God and as an acquisition which requires pursuit and effort. Wisdom is both a gift given from God and also an acquisition which requires our pursuit of it and effort. Whatever you happen to be going through right now in your life, whatever it may be, how many of you want more than anything else just to understand the situation, to detect some meaning or purpose to your struggle, to discover a possible silver lining, perhaps for future benefit, to somehow, somewhere detect the hand of God in it to get you through it, over it, under it, around it, so that you come out intact and preserved on the other side of it. You seek wisdom. Our text today is an ode to and a poem concerning Lady Wisdom. I say Lady Wisdom because she is referred to in the feminine form beginning all the way back in chapter 3. Verses 22 through 31 today are particularly famous and have been for millennia. Two things about wisdom predominate in this text. She dates back to the beginning of time, the beginning of the world, and she was active during God's creation of the world. The Lord created me at the beginning of His work, verse 22 states, the first of His acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up, at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When God had not yet made heaven and earth, earth and fields, or the world's first bits of soil even, when God established the heavens, I was there when He drew a circle on the face of the deep. 
when He made firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master worker. Some translations say here, like a little child. And I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always. So we see that wisdom personified here dates from the very beginnings of time, is active in the creation of the world, and as such creates and contributes to a meaning, an order, and a structure to this world and to life. That's some good news right there, my friend. Life is not empty or void, meaningless, chaotic, nihilistic, or anarchic. No, but the deep has a circle drawn on it. The skies are made firm. The sea has a limit assigned to it. The waters might not transgress God's command. The foundations are indeed marked out. Some say this wisdom personified in and at creation is the Holy Spirit. Some say it is Christ Himself. As Christians, it's really moot or redundant since we regard the Spirit of Christ as the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally present here at creation, all equally active, all in each other's presence as creation is being wrought and formed. I especially like a couple of things about this text. Number one, the first four verses of the text communicate an understanding of wisdom that is positively contrary to Job chapter 28. You see, in Job chapter 28, wisdom is elusive, inaccessible, in hiding even. Job 28 says, But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Humankind does not know the way to it. It is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. Whence then comes wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. But here, here, in the first four verses, in Proverbs 8, wisdom is no longer in hiding. As a matter of fact, the opposite has occurred. She is crying out for notice and attention and adherence. Does not wisdom call, verse number 1 says? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out. To you, O people, I call. My cry is to all that live. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, my friends, is on the heights. It is beside your way, at your crossroads, beside your gates, at the entrance to your house, calling out, crying out for you, your life, and you're finding her and participating in her. God's desire, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is for you, for intimacy, for relationship for informing you, guiding you, and participating in you. And number two, the last thing that wisdom does in verse 31 is to rejoice in the inhabited world. 
and to delight in the human praise. Wisdom rejoices in the inhabited world and delights in the human race. Allow me to share a brief story with you. Peter Tchaikovsky once wrote what became a classic piece of music, his Piano Concerto No. 1 in B-flat minor. It was first reviewed by Nikolai Rubinstein, director of the Moscow Conservatory faculty and a fellow member there with Tchaikovsky. Rubinstein waxed hot in his review. At the end of it, he resembled Zeus hurling thunderbolts. He claimed the piece was, and this is a quote, utterly worthless, absolutely unplayable. Passages were so commonplace and awkward that they could not be improved. The whole piece was bad, trivial, and vulgar. Only one or two pages are worth anything, he concluded. And at that peer review, Tchaikovsky sank into a severe depression. He later sent it to conductor and virtuoso pianist Hans van Buhlau, who said, and this is another quote, its ideas are so original, so noble, so powerful. The details are so interesting. Though there are many ideas, they do not impair the clearness and the unity of the work. The form is mature, ripe, and distinguished in style. This lifted Tchaikovsky from his depression, gave him hope, and indeed his piano concerto number one in B-flat minor went on to become a classic played regularly 150 years later. Two different reactions to the same thing, the same work, the same piece. Time proved the wisdom of the latter review. Time proved the wisdom of the latter review. So allow me now to make tangible what is vague, to make specific what is general to make concrete what is abstract. Wisdom rejoices and delights in you. Wisdom sees your triumphs and your defeats, your gifts and your weaknesses, your endurance and your faltering, your blessings and your sins, your hope and your hopelessness, your faithfulness and your succumbing to temptation. And she rejoices and she delights in you. The devil looks at you and deems you utterly worthless, commonplace and awkward, beyond improving. But God looks at you and sees original ideas, noble and powerful attempts, and interesting details. Other people in your life, those who are family, friends, colleagues, those who should know better and be better and do better, can examine you and render the verdict like Rubenstein, bad, trivial, and vulgar. Only one or two pages of your life at most are worth anything. But God, but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit examines and assesses you like Van Bulaw, and because of the blood of the Lamb, the death and resurrection of Christ, He is impressed with the clearness and the unity of your life. He regards your form as ripe, mature, and distinguished. Same work, same creation, viewed two different and distinct ways. But wisdom, my friends, is revealed in time. 
Tchaikovsky and his piece are revered and celebrated today while the name of Rubenstein is practically unknown. Wisdom rejoices over and delights in you. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rejoices over and delights in you. You are the apple of God's eye. You are created in God's own divine image and after His own likeness. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist says. You are more beautiful, stronger, smarter, and more powerful than you can possibly imagine. You indeed are blessed of God. You are wise. And your search for wisdom is being recognized and rewarded. And you, my friend, you are shining. Trust you me, you are shining in a dark, dark sky. The prophet Daniel says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness like, shall shine like the stars in the sky forever and ever. Wisdom is calling out to you, my friends. Wisdom is crying out for you. Can you hear her? She is cheering you on. She is rooting for you. She is rejoicing in and delighting over you. We so often think that we are chasing wisdom, seeking wisdom. Not knowing that wisdom is seeking and chasing us to tell us you are invaluable. The call and the cry of wisdom.